Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Before walking me through all the details of the massive jobs plan President Biden laid out last week, I asked Slate's Jordan Weissman to do something a little different. I asked him to take me two decades in the future and tell me what the world around us could look like, assuming Biden's entire list of goodies made it through Congress. In 20 years. Okay, let's let's close our eyes and imagine. In 20 years from now, you are in your electric vehicle, um, which you don't have to worry about charging because there will be chargers all over the country. There will be, you know, nobody at any any gas station or rest stop, you'll be able to charge your car. Um, and you are riding to work on a highway that is actually fixed. You don't have to worry about uh, traffic congestion so much because uh, our uh, highways have been fixed up and modernized and bridges have been repaired. So you don't have orange cones everywhere uh, holding up the morning commute. You no longer have to worry about whether or not your kids are getting poisoned by your tap water because we've taken out and replaced all the lead pipes, which is good. Okay, this this vision is making me realize what a hellscape we currently live in. Right? (laughs) Some people have called Biden's American jobs plan an infrastructure bill. And it does fund roads and bridges, the electrical grid and water pipes. But in a few weeks, the second half of this plan is going to be released. The American families plan. And together, the ideas inside these plans aim to redefine what infrastructure is. They're looking to bolster human infrastructure along with everything else. There's something else I noticed about Biden's bills here. They use the word America a lot. You've got the American Jobs Plan. In a few weeks, we're going to have the American Families Plan. It's a whole lot of America. Is that intentional? Yeah, I assume so. I mean, like, why not just put America on everything? Yeah, it's patriotic. It's a new nationalism. Part of the theory of Bidenomics is that we can have a rich country where things are, are less crappy. <laughs> That's sort of rather than a rich country where a lot of stuff is crappy. You use this term Bidenomics. Do you feel like over the last few months you're getting a better idea of what Bidenomics is? Yeah, I think we're we're starting to. And I think in a lot of ways it is an inversion of Reaganomics. It's a, a he's sort of flipping the script on what was the prevailing economic ideology for 30 almost 40 years. Today on the show, you've read about the president's new infrastructure plan. We'll talk about the way this plan embraces a new kind of American populism, one that could appeal to Democrats and Republicans. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. (laughs) 
This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Let's do some basics, because we're talking about two bills here, the American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan. When Joe Biden announced the American Jobs Plan, he said, I'm going to be back in a couple of weeks to talk about this other plan, and really, really basically laid out that these are paired together. He sees them as as bound together. But we know a lot more about the jobs plan. So so let's go over it a little bit. It's It's an infrastructure bill that's very expansive about what infrastructure is, right? So the media has started calling this an infrastructure bill, and that's because that's the way it was discussed around Washington. But I I actually don't think that's the most appropriate way to think about it. In a lot of ways, it's more of an economic modernization bill, right? Hmm. It's a lot more expansive than just roads and bridges and, you know, car charging ports. It really has four key pillars. And if you count the way it's financed, the tax side, maybe it has a fifth key pillar. We can talk about those. One of those is just straight up infrastructure. The, you know, like we think about it, roads, bridges, you know, there's a part of the bill that says we're going to fix the 10 most economically important bridges in the country. $621 billion for roads and bridges. Yeah, well, it's not $620 billion on just 10 bridges, thankfully. We're also fixing 10,000 smaller bridges, but also fixing up highways, basic stuff like that, Um, as well as, you know, improving, you know, retrofitting schools and, you know, taking out lead pipes, things along those lines. Another pillar of it is decarbonization, right? It's sort of the the climate bill is being wrapped into this. Um, It's everything from, like you said, electric vehicles to... uh, to, to this clean electricity standard that they're somehow going to put in there. It's a little bit unclear, but the idea is that we're going to require more of our electricity come from carbon-free and environmentally friendly sources. Um, there's, you know, uh, energy R&D. There's all sorts of good, there are all sorts of goodies in there that have the, the, the climate folks extremely excited right now. And all of this sounds like traditional infrastructure, maybe a little bit focused on climate change, but but pretty like meat and potatoes infrastructure spending. But then it kind of goes in a different direction. Right. I mean, when you're rebuilding the electric grid, that is that is infrastructure, right? It's uh, absolutely essential to, uh, to, you know, decarbonizing our uh, power sources, but it's also just meat and potatoes making work for, for construction workers um, and it's productive work. But then there is this other aspect of the bill. There's... Um, you know, there's a, a big chunk of it's devoted to R&D spending and trying to uh, kind of cultivate the research and development, research and development, cultivating the industries of the future. Um, there's, uh, you know, a set, there's this idea where we're going to create this sort of uh, new technology directorate under the National Science Foundation and channel more money into uh, into uh, advanced manufacturing. Uh, it, we're going to try and create a domestic battery industry, which has been kind of the great white whale for American policy makers who are interested in industrial policy for a while now. Um, and batteries, so we don't rely on fossil fuels as much. 
Well, also so we don't have to rely on batteries that are built abroad in China, for instance. The idea is that you know it's not just decarbonizing or building the industries of tomorrow, but that we're building the industries of tomorrow and bringing them here to the U.S. There is an amount of economic nationalism here. Um, instead of using tariffs, though, like Donald Trump did, the idea is that you're going to uh, you you know you're going to provide you know, government incentives and funding and resources in order to build these industries up domestically. Um, and that's the- But one of the bigger line items is long-term care for the elderly and disabled. And you read that and you think, infrastructure? Is that infrastructure? Yeah. Do I need to rethink what infrastructure is? Yeah, I mean, that it's it's led to a lot of joking about how if you want to get a policy passed in Washington now, you just have to call it, you know, you have to call it infrastructure. You know, I mean, it's a stretch to call that infrastructure. They call it care infrastructure, right? But or human infrastructure. But um, I, I think there, there are a few ways to think about that part of the bill. Um, part of it is that the reality is that the United States is just getting older. There are going to be a lot of elderly people in the future, and they're going to need, you know, someone to take care of them. And we could put them all in nursing homes, but that's not really ideal. And allowing people to stay at home is uh, in, in, in their own homes is in a lot of ways uh, uh, more humane. It might actually be more affordable. Um, and it's it, I think it's something people would prefer. And so this is kind of forward looking in that respect, saying, OK, well, this is going to be a big part of the workforce and we should make sure that, you know, People A can afford home care, and B that the people who are doing the care, the caretakers, are are paid appropriately. This plan's got a two trillion dollar price tag. It would largely be paid for by tax hikes. Biden's plan is to roll back some of the corporate tax breaks offered under the Trump administration. There are some more subtle and interesting things going on underneath the hood that I think might freak out some conservatives and, and sort of the Chamber of Commerce, which is already pushing back. Um, there are ways, the ways we treat would treat international income uh, under this tax plan are a very big deal. Um, Gabe Zuckman, uh, the Berkeley economist who's known for his work on uh, tax havens and inequality is very excited about these changes. He's always been an advocate for a, a kind of global minimum corporate tax. And it actually seems like some of the changes in this bill are meant to advance that agenda. And actually, Janet Yellen, the sec Treasury Secretary, has been kind of beginning to lobby her global uh, her global peers, her, her global counterparts on this idea of, of maybe trying to impose some sort of global minimum uh, corporate tax rate. We're working with G20 nations to agree to a global minimum corporate tax rate that can stop the race to the bottom. Does this keep folks from hiding money, essentially? Not so much hiding money, but it, it's meant to, yeah, prevent, you know, ta regular tax competitions between countries and also, you know, kind of uh, deal with tax havens. Folks are already looking down the line and saying, okay, if this plan made it through Congress, how would it do it? And it sounds like if this moves through, the likelihood is that this would need to be a party line vote again. Folks are already talking about 
the Senate using reconciliation again, which they just did for the stimulus, which is a budget procedure that technically most people believe can only be done one time a year, but Democrats are lobbying that they can do it three times a year. I'm wondering what you make of all this. Yeah, it's going to be a beast. <laughs> Passing this thing is not going to be easy, but um, either politically or procedurally, right? Because anytime, you know, Spending money is a little bit hard. Spending money and raising taxes is very hard. Um, and doing it with a complicated procedural tool that limits what you can and can't uh, pass makes it even more difficult. Um, reconciliation is... I, I've written so many words about it on Slate.com and I can write more words. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad Chuck Schumer is trying to... Uh, press um, to see if he can pass multiple reconciliation bills in a year. I actually mentioned that offhandedly as an idea in a piece a while back because it was sort of floating around Congress that this was possible. And so it looks like, you know, it looks like uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck has uh, embraced it, which is cool. And are we going to be talking about these ideas for a while? Like, is it going to take months to sort out. I mean, we just saw the stimulus pass really quickly. And so I feel like it kind of sets a bar of expectation where you're thinking, oh, things are passing quickly. But are we about to slow down here? I think we're going to slow down a bit. Yeah. I mean, they're already talking about taking at least three months for this bill to pass. I would expect more, especially if if they end up combining the infrastructure bill and this you know, families plan bill that they're talking about. If they end up just making it one monster piece of legislation, uh, that could take a while. <laughs> you know, it's like if you put the entire new New Deal into one one piece of legislation, that's that's going to take a bit of time to sort out. So I think we are going to have a moment or two to kind of dwell on the aspects of this plan and what Congress comes up with and and, and think it through it more so than we did with the coronavirus bill. After the break, what is this infrastructure plan? Tell us about Bidenomics. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Taiwan with today in the Middle East. What happens in Ukraine has consequences for what's happening around AI. Hello, listeners. I'm Gabrielle Sierra host of the Why It Matters podcast from the Council on Foreign Relations. Look, the world of international affairs can feel overwhelming and complex, but it also shapes our lives every single day. So it pays to know what's going on out there. Why It Matters is a foreign policy podcast for the rest of us. And with a little bit of humor and a lot of questions, we're here to break down global topics and bring the world home to you. So join us every two weeks on Why It Matters, wherever you listen. And we're back. So Mitch McConnell has come out against these plans broadly. But I have to say, looking at the pushback so far, this could be me not seeing things. 
But for some reason, it feels different to me than when, say, President Obama was pushing for the health care legislation that became Obamacare. You know, it was clear from the beginning of that fight it was going to be a slog, months long, negotiating. And for some reason, texturally, this moment feels different for, for me, even though we're talking about, again, trillions of dollars in spending. And I'm wondering if you can help me understand why. I, I'm still trying to understand this, too. Um, I think there are, you know, I, we can theorize together. Jordan has a few theories about why the wind seems to be at the president's back right now, legislatively. There's the fact that Joe Biden isn't burdened by the scrutiny that came along with being the country's first black president. And then there's also timing. Unlike Barack Obama, who took office in the middle of an economic death spiral, Biden took control as the country was poised to recover from a collapse. But there's something else. The way Washington thinks about the economy, Jordan says, that seems to be changing. And that's true on both sides of the aisle. The really simple way to put it is that it feels like most Americans, basically all Democrats and a growing number of Republicans, though they they aren't the majority within Congress by any means, feel like we've probably milked all we possibly can out of tax cuts and deregulation. Um, it's just that's not the way forward for growth anymore. I'm kind of workshopping a piece about this, thinking about it. You know, Reaganism versus Bidenism. How is Bidenism a rejection of Reaganism? And I think it actually helps to start by thinking about what Reaganism was, right? Like what was supply side economics and what was it responding to? Close your eyes again. We've already imagined America 20 years from now. Like close your eyes and- Now we're going back in time. Yeah, go, let's go back in time to like the 1970s. In the 1970s, it was this period of economic disappointment, of malaise, right? The big problem was we were dealing with a combination of high unemployment and inflation known as stagflation. You had, you know, I, I think the, the, the causes of that are actually poorly understood to this day. Um, but you had, you know, gas lines, you had the oil shocks caused by OPEC. It's actually largely forgotten that food prices were skyrocketing at the time. You know, just going to the grocery store, you were seeing you know, your cost of your, your shopping cart going up constantly. It felt like America was just, the wheels were kind of coming off and no one fully got it. But there, there, were, there were a few ideas that became very popular. One was that if you pushed unemployment too low, right? If you just poured money into the economy, that would become inflationary, right? And you're, that so that that wasn't going to work anymore. You couldn't just use the, you couldn't use the 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 hand of government because prices would go up. You were in an era where the, the the idea was that you were trying to control inflation, right? You were trying to grow the economy while controlling inflation, and so the notion was that you couldn't government spending wasn't going to fix things wasn't you know it was the problem that you couldn't just pour more money into the economy and hope that you were going to you were going to write things that that was going to set us in the in the right direction instead what you needed to do was you know encourage more business investment you needed to encourage more people to enter the workforce so that you could grow the economy without putting more pressure on you know w without creating wage price spirals that's just not the issue anymore. Instead, we're in this period where, if anything, there's a global savings glut 
there's too much savings. There's too much, basically, you know, no matter how you look at it, there's just too much capital floating around. Interest rates are incredibly low. That is actually perhaps one of the single biggest problems now is that interest rates have been just stubbornly low for decades. So we've been fighting the last war. Right. That was a different, a very different war. And so now the problem isn't how do you get more capital into the economy? How do you get more investment? In, or how, how do you get, how do you help rich people save so they'll invest? It's, oh, rich people are saving too much and they're not investing. How do we get them to spend? That's sort of the issue we're dealing with now. How do you how do you create more spending and how do you deal create more demand? Bidenism kind of responds to that. It's like, well, okay, the government is going to spend and create demand and the government is going to invest directly. We're just going to do the investment ourselves. And so it, it is a very much a reversal. And like, you know, when it comes to the corporate tax side of the plan, right? You know, I think it's it's economically significant that this plan is funded by taxing capital. It's funded by taxing corporations. The idea here is, yeah, we we don't need to create more private savings. We don't need to increase the return to investors at this point. We need to claw those savings into the government and invest them in everyday people. We need to invest them in infrastructure and R&D. And, you know, you do need the hand of government now. And, you know, it's been, again, it's, you know, inflation was the worry then. It's not the worry at this point. We're in such a different economic world that just Reaganism isn't responding to any of the any of the issues that we have today. And Democrats have, you know, thoroughly understood that at this point, I think. And even Republicans, it's, it's beginning to dawn on them. We've talked a couple times about how this plan is pretty far from being a bill or a law. And you got into a bit of a debate with our colleague Henry Grabar about whether a version of this will even pass. And it was interesting to me because Henry was pretty pessimistic. He was like, no, I don't think this is going to this isn't going to make it through. And you weren't. It made me wonder why you were so optimistic. I I have no good reason for being optimistic other than <laughs> other than just the kind of vibe right now. Right. Like, you know, the a, vibes. No, it is. But we were, I mean, we were talking about it like there is, you know, to go back to Reagan a bit. There's a little bit of a morning in America feeling at the moment. Right. That there's a light at the end of the tunnel with the pandemic and we're not dealing with a lunatic in the White House anymore. And people seem to want to take advantage of the historical moment and, and seize the opportunity and. I just I feel like there's forward momentum and that could kind of you could get a little bit of a legislative flywheel going, you know, to use a terrible Silicon Valley term. (laughs) But um, (laughs) that that progress is going to, you know, that progress will beget progress. It's sheer, dumb, naive optimism on my part that something like this might actually pass. Jordan Weissman, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Jordan Weissman is Slate's senior business and economics correspondent. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Carmel Del Shad, Mary Wilson, Daniel Hewitt, Elena Schwartz, and Davis Land. Alicia Montgomery and Allison Benedict edit us and make sure we do our year-end reviews. And I'm Mary Harris. My Twitter is where you can see one of two cakes I made for Easter. Go check it out. It's at Mary's desk. And thanks for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.